0: 750 milliliter bottle of rum. Welcome to the Valissy podcast, a study in monology. This is your grumpy Uncle Peter. He will say words at you. There is a saying that a broken watch is right twice a day, but they seem to have failed to consider the fact that if the way it's broken is the hands have fallen off, then it's not. It's not right at all. It's not even close because it's not telling you the time. It's honestly gone on an existential journey, where time doesn't exist, time doesn't matter, even though it's a watch, and that's the only thing that should matter to it. So it's not right twice a day, it's just wrong all the time. But being wrong all the time means you're free from the system. Being free from the system means you don't care. So if you don't care, are you really wrong now? Or are you free? Sarcasm has been called both the highest and the lowest form of humor. And I think actually it might very well be and i think it's because people who are sarcastic successfully always get a laugh but they get a laugh by being a little bit mean there's always sort of a mean undertone to sarcasm there's always sort of a mean feeling that goes along with it and people who fail at sarcasm who take it to the lowest form of humor they are also being mean probably too mean that's why it fails most of the time but they are being successful at the being mean part. And this might be where the confusion lies because some people are sarcastic and the person they're being sarcastic to will actually laugh with them. And that laughter shows you've been successful, I've made a joke, and while the joke might be mean-spirited, you've understood it's a joke and we've enjoyed the humor together. So let's say, hey, the 80s called they want that shirt back. If I did that in the right way, you would laugh along with me because maybe I think it's a unique and interesting shirt, but I just wanted to point it out so my sarcasm would be appreciated. The exact same thing, hey, the 80s called, they want their shirt back, and then the person doesn't laugh, they just feel bad. I, as the person creating the sarcasm, have created the same feeling. It's funny to me, and I've been a little bit mean, so it's easy to think I have been successfully sarcastic because I fulfilled all the criteria on my side. So sarcasm is the lowest form of humor when only you find it funny. And that might be true for all forms of humor. If I'm making jokes that I find funny that no one else ever laughs at, I am not achieving the actual goal of being funny, of humor, because I'm not making other people laugh. Whereas if I'm being sarcastic and the other people are laughing, hopefully the person who is even the target is laughing along with me, then sarcasm does become the highest form of humor. It becomes the highest form of humor because it's hard to pull off being mean to someone and having them enjoy it. So it's kind of the difference between being mean-spirited and kind. And I think the confusion comes from the fact that you could fail at sarcasm and still feel all the same emotions as someone who's being successful at sarcasm. Question is, is House Hunters staged? Now, House Hunters is a TV show. It's a reality TV show. I believe the whole point is they are house hunting, trying to find houses for people, usually houses that the people can't afford. I've never seen the show. I live in Japan. I've lived in Japan since before reality TV became an actual common thing. So the first reality TV shows that existed, I didn't even hear about until a few years after they were popular. When it became part of the the national consciousness that people are aware of, I actually still hadn't even heard of most of the things. Uh, And that's just because I've lived in Asia most of my life. Reality TV is a different thing here. Uh, Western-style reality TV has just never happened. So I've never seen this show, but the question is, is it staged? And the answer is yes. Pretty much everything on TV is staged, and there's a reason for that. Because to create a TV show, they have to get their shots. They have to get certain things. They have to make some drama. They have to have things happen. So if nothing's happening, if a couple is quite happily going through a house saying, this is nice, this is nice, this is nice, let's buy it. Oh, we can afford it, that's great, we've bought the house. You don't have a TV show anymore. So you have to have events, you have to have occurrences, and you have to have, most importantly, some form of drama to occur within the reality TV. So it has to happen, so it can't be real. There is always the opportunity for something real to happen. Big Brother was designed to have people with different personalities in the same house stuck together in the hopes that those personalities would clash. They were chosen that way, but in the same way, that is actually something that's been staged. These people have been picked because they will fight with each other. Well, they will disagree, they will argue, they will cause drama. And if the drama wasn't happening, if someone was being too reasonable, they would either A, remove that person or B, try to create some drama between them. So they would probably tell people to get angry about stuff. The fact that these shows don't necessarily have a script doesn't mean they're staged, it doesn't mean they're not designed by the people running the production because there will always be input and there will always be planning. And that means it will always be staged to a degree because the thing they need most of all is at the end of this process, they need a TV show that they can air and make money off of. So if they don't end up with that TV show, they don't make any money, they don't make any money, they can't pay all the people who are making it and that production has failed. So that is how you know that pretty much everything on TV is staged. It's the same idea of when people do the interviews on talk shows, It's not like they just spontaneously come up with, maybe I should ask you about your holiday, maybe I should ask you about your kids, maybe should I just ask you about the last tour you did. They clearly pre-interview everyone, try to get the good stories, and decide on what story they're going to tell, and then they go out and do it. There may be spontaneous moments, and they might go off script, but there is a script that they start with to make sure they get at least mediocre television, because most of the scripted interviews are quite boring, you don't really care about them. When the things go off the rails, that is when it becomes an interesting spectacle to observe. So I personally hate electric car designs. And it's just because they're all boxy and weird and some of them are really smooth shaped. Like the, the, the Prius has got that sort of dome effect and it's very distinctive, but it's just not a very appealing look to a car. I always like kind of boxy cars. I really like sort of muscle cars from the 70s, although I'd never buy one just because of the fuel efficiency and whatnot. But it always seemed weird to me, why can't they just make an electric car with the shell being sort of a muscle car shape. It doesn't matter what shape the car is, if you're really being honest, any car shape is just a frame that you put over the engine and the seats and stuff. So it can be almost any shape you want. I mean, yes, you want aerodynamics and stuff, but there's no reason they couldn't go back and get like an old 60s or 70s Mustang and make that similar shape and put it on top of an electric car engine. And I wondered why they didn't make cars that looked like that because that is a car I'd be really interested in. It would, it would look cool to me, but it would still be environmentally friendly and efficient and all those other things that go along with being a good car. But it turns out they did a study on this, and they found out that people who want to buy electric cars like the weird shapes of electric cars. And they like it because it's very distinctive. And what they actually are saying to the world is, hey, everybody, look, I'm driving an electric car. So if you were driving a car that had a normal shape or a shape let's say of an old muscle car, then people wouldn't immediately recognize that you were being pious or superior or whatever word you want to associate with that because it wouldn't be immediately apparent that you were driving an electric car. Really, what everyone who drives electric cars wants you to know is that they are driving an electric car so that you know that they're, dri- they're being special. And it's that specialness is what they're looking for when they look for design. They want to stand out and have everyone go look. You're driving your, your Nissan Peon, the terrible car that's, that's ruining the environment. Whereas I, I'm being a good person. I'm conscientious. I care about the environment and I want you to know that I care. So the only way to make sure everyone knows that is to have a car that looks weird so it stands out. And unfortunately in an ugly way so that everyone turns around and goes, oh, that's an electric car because it's ugly as crap. But this is a trend that could change because Teslas look quite nice, but then they could take it a step further and make it look really cool. Get all those old design elements in there and actually make something unique, but actually looks really sort of old school cool. And then you'd have a whole new group of people who are like, actually, I'm not buying this because it's an electric car. I'm buying this because it looks cool. Has that immediate sort of acceleration power ratio that comes with electricity. And now you could actually branch out instead of just having these electric cars to the people who are consciously aware of wanting to drive an electric car, they could start appealing to people who just like cars. And maybe they've been turned away from the idea of electricity because it comes along with all these labels. But if you can actually remove that and make it cool, now you have a whole whole new group of people you could actually sell your cars to. I wanna revisit a topic I did quite a while ago. I didn't actually bother to go check when this was. But I want to revisit the best video game superpower. So, when I did this previously, I chose the reincarnation ability from Dark Souls. Because in Dark Souls, every time you die, you reincarnate at the last place you were, and you can go and try the exact same level or boss or whatever again. Or you can go away, get more experience, and then come back and then fight whatever killed you before. So to me, it wasn't just the reincarnation, it was the reincarnation with the retention of memory of previous mistake. Because if you walked in a room and fell in a hole, you would actually just reincarnate and next time you went back to that room, you knew there was a hole there and you wouldn't have to fall down into it unless that's what you wanted to do. But to me, that seemed like the superpower because eventually over time, you could never lose. You will always win because you will always be able to go back and try different things. But while playing a video game recently, I actually came up with another very powerful skill that would be very useful. And it would be to have a mini-map in your vision. So we all have Google and stuff. You could actually just hold it up to your face, but that's not actually what I want. On the mini-map quite often the enemies will show up as red marks and friendlies would show up as green or blue or something like that. But there's an indicator as to whether or not the person across from you or near you is friendly or an enemy. And if someone who was friendly changes into an enemy, then the color of their icon on the mini map changes. So a great superpower to have would be to have the people around you, have their motivation show up in relation to you in color in a mini-map in your vision. So if I look at you, on my mini-map in the corner of my eye, I could see a red mark. I go, this person doesn't like me, or this person's against me, or this person's conspiring to do me wrong. Or I could have a green mark. I go, this is my friend. This is someone I can trust. Then I wouldn't have to worry about interpreting people's motivations. I would just know right away whether they were good or bad people. And it's from my perspective because the mini-map in the games is related to you directly directly. So as far as superpowers goes, I would have an understanding of everyone's motivations around me and our relationship immediately. And if that relationship changed enough, then the icon would change color. You could even, some of them would have a neutral color. So you'd have like a yellow. So it'd be green, yellow, red, just like a traffic signal. And so if someone went from green to yellow, I could be like, oh, maybe I've said the wrong thing or going the wrong direction. I could pull it back and try to get them to be green again. But that would give me a certain amount of power or control over the people around me because I would understand how I'm making them feel towards me every moment of every day as we progress through the day. So superpowers, I don't think we should be looking at traditional ones like flight and power and superpowers and stuff. I think you should actually look at the mechanics of the world you're living in and then see how can I apply that mechanic in a real way so that I can then use it to improve my life or how my life could work better. And just a quick note, just yesterday I posted another YouTube video. It's actually the very first podcast animated on a whiteboard. If you want to go check that out, you can go to YouTube and search for podcast. It should show up. It's the only one named that. So while it might not be the best name I've ever come up with, it is certainly at least unique. Uh, and you get to hear about Jesus' foreskin and learn a little bit about history. So not only is it entertaining, but you could end up being a tiny, tiny bit smarter as a result the loss of the loss of the loss of the loss Velocip, of the loss Velocip. of podcast the loss of podcast hey sexy friend he's making me his bitch thank you for listening if you have questions or comments you can tweet at velocitypeter or email velocipodcast at gmail.com you can find the podcast on itunes stitcher a cast or go to velocitypeter.com slash podcast Get all those old designs, Ellen. Get all those old designs, Ellen.